Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back, and this is day four. We are talking about negotiation. Without any further delay, Julie, let's jump right in. Yes, so as you said, this is part four. So far in our previous parts, we've talked about get to know the house, whether you're on the buyer or seller side, get to know the buyer, get to know the seller, and now we are getting to do the deal. Now remember, the definition of negotiation is bringing two or more parties together to reach an acceptable outcome for all. So point number one in doing the deal, these are your guidelines, things to remember. Point number one, always advocate for your client. Remember your agency agreement and your fiduciary duty. 30% of the real estate exam was on ethics. The questions were all situational. They are testing you on whose side you'd be on in negotiations or tough situations. So err on the side of your client always and keep yourself out of trouble. Your job is to be a skillful advocate for your client. Make sense? Yeah, should be obvious. It should be, but it's. A, I always like mindset reminders at the top of our series here. So point number two, never reject an offer. Always, always counter offer, even if it is coming from a low ball or it seems outrageous to you or your client. Now, this applies for both sides, whether you're on the listing side or the buyer side. So if you submit an offer, what you think is a good offer on behalf of your buyer and the seller comes back with what your buyer perceives to be an outrageous counteroffer, mm-hmm. always, always counteroffer. That's right, because sometimes a buyer is gonna come in low just to get the ball rolling or a seller will counter at the list price, sometimes in you know previous market, even a little bit higher, to show that they're serious about price, but at least they're willing to negotiate. So never let a deal die on your watch. Now, unless you find out the buyer is unqualified at that price range or the seller no longer wishes to sell, but general rule of thumb, don't ever just reject an offer or a counter offer. There's a lot of skill associated with that, especially if you're representing the seller, because the seller is going to be insulted, so easily insulted. You have these stoward type people that, <laughs> yep. you know, are the bedrocks of society. And all of a sudden, if they receive an offer on a property that they have for sale, especially if it's their own home, it's slightly less of lift price. It is the biggest affront to them ever. They're so, they take it so personally. It's offensive. Okay. And, and here's the real psychology behind that. They are just not used to negotiating. That's the reason you have to essentially be the backbone for these folks when they're going through this process. So remember what Julie just said. When you receive an offer, even if your seller is all worked up about it because it's not exactly what they're hoping that they would receive, always counter offer if it's necessary. If it's a good offer and if it's perhaps the best offer, then the smart thing to do is obviously accepting the offer and not negotiating it on it at all. And you need to make it clear to the seller that in some cases, accepting the first offer that they receive, even if it is flying in the face of their previous experiences over the last 15 years selling properties. But in a market like this, you're going to want to accept the offer. Julie, I was reading an article, mm-hmm. and listeners, this will kind of blow some of you away. You know, of course, about the mansion tax that passed in L.A. Yes. Okay, and you know about the mansion tax that was in Manhattan and all the rest mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And so as the essence of the concept of a mansion tax is in addition to all, like in L.A., if I remember correctly in this article, there was already a transfer tax. Yes. And now there's a, uh, an additional percent, like two, it depends on what the house sells for. Mm-hmm. And there was do, they were doing this article on um, houses, you know, mansions, if you want to call them that, for $5 million 
and above and how much additional taxes are going to be paid and how all the sellers had homes for sale in that price range yeah. are uh, like basically desperately trying to get rid of these properties prior to the mansion tax actually taking place. Mm -hmm. But the story was on a property that was $38 million and the tax alone on this new tax, the additional taxes would be $2 million. Wow. So when the house sold, when it's, if it sells after a particular date, and I think it's in the next 30 days, that's when this law takes place that the somebody, either the buyer or the seller, is going to have to pay that additional $2 million, um, you know, in taxes. Right. right. And it's it obviously, it's uh, progressive, so it depends on what the house sells for. But this is in addition to real estate commissions. This is in addition to, uh, you know, the other conveyance fees. They have conveyance fees, transfer taxes, things like that in L.A. Now, on quote-unquote mansions, you have even more taxes. Now, the irony of all this is that where do you think that money, that who's going to end up paying the taxes? Most likely the buyer. Mm -hmm. And the article is summarizing that, well, this will mean the essentially deflation of uh, you know luxury properties. It depends on the market. Yeah. In most cases, that's not going to be the case. The properties are just going to get more expensive, which is kind of interesting. But you here's the other the tax thing. on the top, right? Right. But here's the other, right, exactly. Here's the other unintended consequence of a tax like that. When you have a lot of inflation, which is taking place in a market near you, your market, and you're going to have normal price range houses where someone would have thought, well, I don't care about a mansion tax. My property is worth six fifty. Well, if you wait three or four or five years, now your property is worth uh, an amount that where your house is now going to be subject to the mansion tax. Well, maybe that's not such a good idea to have a mansion tax. <laughs> I know. Isn't that interesting? So, yeah, this all goes into the negotiation bucket, doesn't it? Well, again, these are, it goes back to the podcast we did two days ago where it really does take knowing exactly what's happening in the market. And if you're representing a buyer and you're in LA and they're buying expensive properties, you sure as heck better know about that mansion tax because it does create a lot of really great motivation, leverage for that buyer to, you know, because that seller is going to want to get the property sold before that tax is in place for fear that they're the ones that are going to end up paying it. So, you know, yeah. keep all these things in mind. That would be called uh, exterior motivation foisted <laughs> upon the seller, wouldn't exactly. it? Exactly. Okay, so point number three, recognize that price isn't the most important item for many clients. A client who gets their closing and possession dates without having to move twice might be more flexible on the price than you think. A buyer who finds their dream home might suddenly be okay paying a little bit more or even over a list price to get their dream home. A seller who gets a lease back might take a lower price. So following our pre-negotiation checklist that we talked about on our previous podcast, that's going to sort all of this out and give you some negotiating tactics other than just price. Right. So point, for, num yeah. point number four. Point number four, emotions and logic. Now, this is an interesting one. Of course, you're going to use your comparable sales, your buyer and seller net sheets, facts about days on the market, list to sell price ratio, but don't forget about emotions too. It's okay to toggle back and forth to help your client make the best decision possible. So you can use phrases like, what will it feel like to not have to clean before the next 10 showings? Or what will it feel like to be moved in before the holidays or before school goes back? What would happen if we accepted this offer and were closed by the end of next month? Now, you said two things in those last points, and I mm -hmm. want to go back to it. Emotions for most people uh, translate to, from your real estate listing agent mind, or even from the buyer agent mind, a hassle factor. And Julie said, and it's something really interesting that will shock most of you uh, that don't have a lot of experience, frankly, is that very, very rarely, even if a seller says the price or the bottom line or their you walk away check, right, is the most important thing. Very rarely is it because this is a house 
that they, for the most part, they're living in. Now, if it's an investor property, then it's probably price. But if it's something that somebody's living in with their family and their dog, then it's going to be convenience. It's going to be hassle factor. It's going to be Johnny and Susie's school schedule. It's going to be the holidays. Those are things that often uh, times will be far more influential on their decision uh, than the net proceeds to them. Or even, you know, on the other side of it, how much the buyer is willing to pay. Convenience uh, trumps all. That's it, It's actually interesting. You and I had a conversation the other day with John. Remember? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And he is a, frankly, very famous and successful financier, I mm-hmm. guess is the best way of explaining sure. it. And I'm not going to use his last name. And he was, we were trying to explain to him housing from a perspective that he absolutely positively had never thought of before. I think you're right about that. Yeah, it was fascinating. He was yeah. telling us about M1 and M2 monetary supply and interest rates and the effect on the quantitative easing and all the rest of it. He was giving us a very interesting academic approach to what his uh, perception was of what the housing was. And then Julie and I had to like sort of bludgeon him. We had to, we had to <laughs> fact him with actually what was going on. And I was shocked how... Uh, much he did not actually know about residential housing. Well, that's right, because a lot of the finance guys just kind of put it in another asset class that maybe, you know, housing must just work like everything else does. And they don't take into consideration that people buy and sell because of their circumstances primarily, convenience to your point, right? right? Over, I would say, for the most part, again, maybe not with investors, but over the actual dollars and cents. It's well, all, con- you know, it's all convenience. We had to explain to him that, you know, 50% of the homes in the United States are owned and the other 50% of the homes that have mortgages have mortgages for the most part that are like giveaway mortgage rates now, less than three and a half percent. That are not adjustable. Exactly. And they, so most of these people who, most people who have mortgages have fixed rate mortgages at three and a half percent or less and have 50% equity in their home. Like after we explained all this to him, his thesis that there was going to be some sort of devaluation of real estate just evaporated right in front of him. He was not exposed to any of this kind of thinking. But again, this all plays into, I'm actually thinking about inflation as we're going through these points. Mm -hmm. Guys there, Julie and I have been talking with you guys about this on this podcast for years about the effects of inflation and about around COVID when all this money started getting pumped into the economy. We were um, doing podcasts. We interviewed uh, Peter Schiff and some other people, exposed you guys to larger ways of thinking about the ramifications of inflation on the housing markets. And now it's really coming home to roost. And I'm not going to you know, ramble on about this, but we will do a podcast about this. There's going to be some serious inflation that's going to re-enter to the market. And I'm not being political. Julie and I are never political on this podcast. We're just stating facts. That's going to cause home values to go through the roof. Real estate in particular is going to be one of the best things to own. If you own a home and you can buy another one, maybe buy another one. If you own a home, don't sell your home. Real estate is going to go through the roof if for no other reason than inflation. So you're going to be living like some of you who have these mortgages at based on 3.5%. And let's say your payment is $3,500 a month. Some of the things that Julie and I are starting to expose ourselves to where it looks like inflate what the inflation rates could be, you're going to be sitting financially so well off that you can't even fathom it. We heard somebody, I'll just say it, um, actually it was Peter said, mm-hmm. that Peter Schiff said he it's possible that asset prices, aka real estate, in the next two years could double if not triple. Now I want you to think about that. If you have a you know, $400,000 home, then it goes to eight, then it goes to 1.6. And you're thinking, well, how is that possible? That doesn't even make sense. Well, if you were to go back, I don't even know how many years, 50 years, and you were to tell your grandparents that the house they bought from Sears that they had delivered to, you know, your local Sears, that's you, people used to buy homes from Sears, by the way, and they deliver them. And for the most part, the homeowners would build them themselves. 
Um, so yeah, if you were to told have uh, told them that the house that they just bought for eight hundred dollars would be now worth you yeah. know a million dollars, they would laugh at you. That's called inflation. Some of you want to call it appreciation, and I guess it sort of feels the same way. But at the end of the day, that's the cycle that we're in now. We're going to do another podcast on that because it is very interesting. But here's the big takeaway: you guys are blessed to have real estate licenses. You're incredibly lucky because built in with the inflation and the rising prices on homes is going to be a pay raise for all of you. You're going to get a massive pay raise in the homes you sell because of the fact the prices are going through the roof. Congratulations. That's right. The only question is what you're going to do about it. So back to negotiation, point number five, practice professional courtesy. Don't be overly aggressive, abusive, or manipulative to the other side. You're going to meet that agent again on the other side of a different deal. The seller might, uh, not the seller, I should say the listing might expire if it doesn't get sold. Hopefully the seller doesn't expire with it, right? <laughs> so the buyer might take themselves out of the market and come back in six months. So you've got to pr be professional. Practice reputation management, meaning your own, by being the rock in the transaction, not the drama king or the drama queen. Your clients will always be stressed when negotiating. That's guaranteed. You've got to take the stress away instead of fueling it. And so why do agents bring their drama? Because they're trying to rationalize their value. Mm -hmm. And so what an agent will do, an inexperienced agent will do, is, or you know, inexperienced could also mean somebody who's been in the business for a long time, but just hasn't really psychologically worked through why they act like you know, they're the center of everything when it comes to negotiating a deal. You know, it's because they feel insecure about the money that they're, they're making mm -hmm. and they're trying to do a little, you know, art and performance art basically on behalf of their client to, so the client thinks that they're doing all this work because after all, why would, you know, Bob be under so much stress? It's ridiculous. What you're doing is you're being unprofessional and you're actually adding stress to the transaction that could result in the transaction actually not happening. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes the agent is actually the problem, not the clients, right? Yeah, okay, for sure. So, so point number six, know if and when your client is actually willing to walk away. How do you know that? Well, test them on that notion by asking them, if I call you Mr. or Mrs. Buyer tomorrow and I let you know that the other offer was accepted, how are you going to feel about that? Or if you have the listing, if I call and let you know that because we did that last counter, the buyers walked away and bought something else, how are you going to feel about that? You've got to know if and when your client's willing to walk away. And it's not always at the point you think it is. And this is all a scripted approach, right? So for example, um, when you're dealing with a seller, and let's say you get the house is listed for 750 grand. And let's say you get an offer in and the house and the offer is say 700 grand. And the seller is going to be like, that is ridiculous. You know, drama, 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 drama. Okay. And you could say, Mr. Seller, I completely appreciate the fact that this offer is not in alignment with your expectations or even maybe the market's expectation. But I've got a question for you. If it's two weeks from now or a month from now and we don't have another offer or the next offer we get actually is for less, I want you to think about this. How will you actually feel? What will that do to your plans to move in the next 90 or 120 days? Because Mr. Seller, here's the thing. Even though this isn't the first offer, this shouldn't be our last offer. Let's go ahead and negotiate them and you know, then work the deal out. But don't lose, the, don't lose any offers, even if they feel like they're too low over drama or unrealistic expectation uh, from the seller. All sellers are going to have unrealistic expectations. Especially Every, now. <laughs> especially now. Every yeah. single one of them. And you, dear listener, have been spoiled by this crazy seller's market. Now that that is gone and is going to even be more so over the next 12 months, 
um, in over the long period of time, you're going to have to get really good to Julie's previous point of being a bedrock. That is the reason that many of you guys are joining Premier Coaching. You're joining Premier Coaching because you want to be around and associated with a like-minded community, a like-minded community of real estate professionals who are going to make this their market because of this market. Their mindsets are being of service to other people, and they know the way they're going to do that is through their skill set. Text the word Premier to 47372. Text the word Premier, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, to 47372. Or just simply go to Premier Coaching. Uh, com. You can join now for free and it does give you immediate 30-day access to Premier Coaching, including a daily semi-private coaching call with one of our Harris certified coaches. So go ahead and text the word Premier to 47372 or just go to premiercoaching.com. Remember when texting, message and data rates may apply. So point number seven, I want to set this up for a second. This should say realize that what a client says is a deal killer may or may not actually be. And what I'm talking about here is the distance between when you listed a property or when you started working with a buyer and the things that they say in the beginning versus when you actually have a real offer in hand or when you finally find their dream home, right? Because you don't really know until there's a legitimate offer on the table with real numbers to consider. This is why you never advise just to reject an offer or counteroffer. The client's circumstances or their motivation or their time frame may have changed in the time that the house was listed or in the time that they were looking. So don't make any assumptions without the facts. Julie, it's listed for 800. We're not going to take a cent less than 800. That's what they say when you list the property. Exactly. But, but then what happens after they give up, give up nights and weekends trying to keep the house clean, trying to get Johnny, Susie, and Bob the dog. Three open houses later, Bob exactly. the dog now. <laughs> right. Now all of a sudden, you they didn't tell you this, but they're actually way more flexible on price. And, and it's getting closer to their actual have-to-sell date, right, when the new construction is going to be done. So you've got to revisit motivation mm -hmm. and remind them of their time frames. And remember, the market is wearing them down. Yeah, I, when I wrote that point, I had all these, you know, memories of you and I would take listings. And at the time, the SAR would say, I'm not taking one red cent less than this, or I'm not moving before that date. And then you have a real offer in hand. And sometimes it was completely different than how you thought yeah, they were we'll going to react. It. Yeah, take it. Let's just get it done. Yep. So, interesting. Well, it's, it's because it's causing stress in their lives. And, you know, you initially, uh, you know, it was ego, basically. Why do sellers overprice? Here's a little advanced coaching for all of you. They, sell, they overprice because of ego. Even though you, you show them the logic of the pricing based on what the market's value, what the market says the house is worth, right? The CMA clearly says the house is worth X. And the seller thinks the house is worth more than X. That's their ego, and they don't. Uh, if you try to confront them, oftentimes in an unskilled approach, they will fire you if you were lucky enough to get the listing in the first place. So you're going to have to have. A, you know, this is the bottom line. Working with buyers is physical labor. You know, it's you out there hoping and praying that they buy a house, giving away your nights and weekends. Working with sellers is is really mental labor, psychological labor. But once you learn these skills. They're indelible. You can use them anywhere. You can use them in any market. And the beauty of it is, is your competition, once you're a skilled listing agent, is virtually nobody. And you'll be surprised. Here's another little special uh, advanced coaching for you. Very, virtually no agents right now. And I love you guys. We're just like you guys. But what I'm about to hit you with is a truth bomb. If you've only been selling for the last 15 years and you've never sold in a transitioning market, uh, by the way, if no one's ever sold in a transitioning market like what we're experiencing now, so don't feel bad, right? Uh, we've sold in a lot of down markets, and the housing crash was certainly worse than this. 
But this is a whole new set of gumballs that are going to have to mm-hmm. you know, go into the machine before we figure out what the output's going to be. Well, you don't have the skills you think you have. And many of you, unfortunately, are going to find out by losing on the job. Don't do it. Don't. If, if you're a successful listing agent right now, if you've got listings and you're already feeling the, you know, the market shift and you're realizing that some of the normal things you've been saying in the past just aren't working, and some of the normal you know, ways you've motivated buyers to write offers aren't working, you need to upgrade your approach and do it before you lose. Don't let yourself lose once, let alone lose multiple times. It's too expensive. That's right, especially given the average commission these days, right? So point number eight, be realistic with your negotiating based on market conditions. Now, this applies to whether the market is hot or not. So here's some examples. If your listing actually has been on the market for a month and still doesn't have an offer, meanwhile, showings are slowing down, well, you might take your only offer more seriously. If your buyer hasn't seen a single home except for this one that even meets their criteria at all, well, they need to offer something acceptable if they expect to actually buy the home. Now, this this has a little tiny uh, mini point here. By the same token, if this is a brand new listing and this is the first weekend and there's tons of showings on it and you know there's multiple offers and there's no other choices, well, your buyer's going to have to come in strong on that, aren't they, if they expect to buy it. That same house, if, or if it's house down the street, sits on the market 30 days, well, that's going to be a different negotiating scenario, isn't it? The seller's going to be in a different mindset, listing agent, different mindset, less competition you know, from other offers, and maybe more choices. All right, point number nine. Point number nine, consider the possibility of a secondary negotiation with the inspection, another thing they haven't had to deal with. Okay, right? now, if you're on the buyer side, personally, we don't think it's ethical for you to basically set your buyer up to bludgeon the seller when it, after the home inspection, especially if there's no real issues with the uh, home inspection in the yep. first place. And if you tell the seller or the buyer rather that that's your plan, you're going to bludgeon the seller with the home inspection. What if the seller says, no, you're not approaching negotiation with that buyer ethically. Just keep that in mind. hundred percent agree with that. Yes. So the secondary negotiation with the inspection, well, maybe the seller is going to come down from the list price, but that's in exchange for no inspection remedies. Maybe if the buyer pays 5% over list price, they're actually going to expect the seller to fix some more things. The accepted price can affect the inspection scenario positively or negatively. And I 100% agree, you should never coach anybody, buyer or seller, exactly how you think an inspection negotiation is going to go. You know, what if you did tell the buyer that they could beat on the seller with the uh, inspection items in the attempt to get the price down? What if the seller actually says, yes, I'll fix those things? Point number 10, don't text your negotiations. That should be obvious. We'll display to this point. Uh, the re- bottom line is the tech. Now, if you're texting paperwork and contracts and that's the you know, only way, then that's different. But at the end of the day, no one texts as clearly as they speak. And it's too easy, uh, especially if that's, let's say you're on the buyer side, that listing agent's receiving a lot of, you know, texts and other communication that t- your text is most likely going to get lost. Um, so yeah, there Just you go. Just don't do it. And actually, Julia, as, was, mm-hmm. as you were reading that last point, point number nine, um, I received a text uh-huh. from somebody who was actually asking, this is a gal that was part of a KW team. I don't care if I say it. And she was joined as a buyer's agent and she was struggling with the KW team and she what nothing was working out, wasn't making any mm-hmm. money, the whole thing. And she asked me what she should do. And uh, my first thought was, well, you should have asked me this question a year ago. But, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. And the second best time to plant a tree is now. So here's what I suggested to her. And I'm suggesting all this to you guys now. Oh, here's what I was going to tell you. Mm-hmm. So like we hear constantly, she did have a coach. 
She does have a coach. Yes. Um, and with Keller Williams. Mm-hmm. And she said she learns more from our podcast than she does from her coach. We mm-hmm. hear that constantly. Yeah. Now, why is that? Because Julie and I are actually professional coaches. We've done this for a living for a long period of time. In addition to that, we were massive producing real estate agents. Um, we, you know, if you look at our pedigree, there are virtually, there is essentially maybe two or three other, uh, quote unquote, real estate coaches in the industry that I think, you know, resume for resume probably would sure. match ours I'd realistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the reality of it is, is if you are in a coaching relationship and you are learning more from our free podcast, that is not really a coaching relationship you should probably stay with because chances are that coach is not going to be able to help you through this new market. Because they don't know how to, otherwise they would be. Doesn't it make sense? So we love the fact that you guys love this podcast. But this is just training. This is a podcast. This is not coaching. So remember, the next logical, you know, normal uh, step for all of you is join Premier Coaching. Text the word Premier to 47372. Text the word Premier to 47372. Or just go to premiercoaching.com. And remember when texting, message, and data rates may apply. And you can join Premier Coaching for free. Next point. Yes, and this is my final point because I actually have a call with a new client in two minutes. And I'll let you wrap up after that. So point number 11, don't speculate or make up stories about the buyer, seller, agent, or house. Operate from facts, not fiction. It's easy to make assumptions in the heat of battle but they are rarely correct. Take a breath and ask yourself, are you thinking this because you have evidence of it or are you speculating about the seller's situation, buyer's situation, what's happening with a uh, home inspection or the house or any of those things? This comes up on coaching calls when we're doing little diagnostic things, what's going on with a negotiation. And I always say, look, let's not speculate. What are the facts involved in this so that you can make good decisions and advise your clients properly? Back to you. Point number 12, look for a solution, not a fight. Use scripts. uh, And again, this is a scripted approach, but you have to, if you're not a very experienced negotiator and in this last market, you haven't really had to be, it's sort of taking the highest price and you know, how high that will a buyer go over asking price? That wasn't really negotiating. That was just essentially order taking. But now where you actually have to negotiate, you have to learn how to script your approach so that you keep your ego out of the conversation. And so you keep the other parties, frankly, their egos out of the conversation as well. And some of the little scripty things that we can give you now is like, help me understand where your client is coming from or what would happen if we did this or, you know, be a problem solver, not a problem maker. There's a lot of different ways that you can convey uh, what, like, so for example, let's say you're representing a buyer and an offer and the counter offer comes back and it's out of alignment with the buyer's expectations and even the market. You can ask the listing agent, so help me understand why this is the best uh, option for both the buyer and the seller. So what I'm, uh, what we're going to coach you to do is how to have conversations that result in home sales, but doing it in such a way that you are keeping your ego out of it. And you're also, because of the way you're phrasing the questions, helping the other side to keep their ego out of it as well. It is a little bit of Jedi mind trick. It's a little bit of NLP, but it's also mostly skills. So hopefully that resonates with all of you. Point number 13, consider using video to get your point across in a non-confrontational way. Sometimes the other agent, buyer, seller, will, well, Julie said, uh, demonize the other party out of frustration lack of information, or lack of skill. Humanize your side of the negotiation to settle frayed nerves by clarifying your intentions. Make a video that the other agent can use to get the deal done. And I know that some of you are going to say, Tim, that sounds like you're sending love letters to the seller on behalf of the buyers. I'm not suggesting that, nor was Julian 
Point number 13, what we're merely suggesting is that when there's any sort of complexity to a contract, that uh, you maybe accompany your offer with a video that you can then, maybe the listing agent or the buyer agent chooses to share that with their, uh, their customer, right? Does that make sense? Point number 14, you guys know what this is. Make sure you join Premier Coaching. And the best thing about Premier Coaching is it is a community of like-minded real estate professionals that are making this market their market. Um, so again, Julie and I have been reading, listening to tons of podcasts, and thankfully talking to a lot of really, really smart people. And we're all trying to take their temperature of what they think is going to happen next. There has never been in the history of the world, okay, there's a big statement, but it's true. There's never been a hist- uh, any example in the history of, of the world for anything that's like what's happening right now in the economic system. All a bunch of reasons, but I'll give you the biggest one. There's never been a uh, currency, the U.S. dollar, that essentially is the reserve currency for the world. There obviously are exceptions, right? The yuan and other countries, the, the, you know, the euro. But a lot of other countries use the, euro, the U.S. dollar to do their major transactions. It's um, called the petrol dollar, for example, because at the end of uh, every trading day, the accounts are settled in U.S. dollars. So the U.S. currency has become essentially the globe's currency. Now, when people say, and there's a lot of smart people that have speculated that there's going to be some sort of you know, devaluing of the currency. Could happen. Some people are now speculating that because it looks like uh, the inflation is going to be let to run rampant because the Fed has said that they're not raising interest rates or they might raise interest rates another something this year, they're going to essentially give up to the inflation. They're going to lose the inflation war before they even had a chance to truly fight. Why? Because when they raised the rates and they, you know, it was very quick and they, you could argue, did the right thing, trying to slow the economy down, trying to slow inflation. What they have done is they've created seismic shifts in, you know, banking, for example, and it's going to happen in other things. Julie and I have a lot of friends that are in commercial real estate. And we are listening to what they're describing to us as going, it, it is, there is an absolute huge problem that's going to be looming in commercial real estate in most of the major cities in the United States because of the fact that these leases, a lot of the leases, you know, are coming up. And the, let's say, for example, somebody bought a building for $10 million. And the bank loaned on the building with the understanding that the minimum lease value for the building would be, you know, X number of dollars. And so if the leases were to be lowered, it would devalue the bank's investment. So the bank said, I will give you $10 million, but you've always got to be keeping the minimum amount of rent you're taking in at this amount. It's not like if you were buying a single family home where you could adjust the rents up or down and it's up to you. You're partners with the bank, assuming you have a loan on it, which most CRE does. And then if, you know, the bank's not going to want you, you actually could be considered to be in default if you raise, or I'm, I'm sorry, if you lower your rents. You following me on all this? So what's going to happen is in many major cities, and I'm just giving you guys the next hypothetical domino to fall, you're going to see a lot of these properties that are going to be going vacant. And in order to get them rented, they're going to have to lower the rents. If they lower the rents, they devalue the asset value, which is going to put additional pressures on the banks. We are going to see all kinds of problems if, inf- if, if um, the interest rates continue to, to rise. That's the reason, amongst a whole bunch of other things, they're not going to raise the interest rates anymore. And guess who told you guys this, what, two and a half years ago? Julie and I did. And the other big reason why is because there's over $30 trillion worth of debt. 
like it or not, the U.S. government, the Fed, is now printing money again. That's where this money to save the banks is coming from. They're not calling it quantitative easing or all these other things, but that is in essence what they're doing. They're printing money again. That money is going to make it into the economy as inflation because they're devaluing the currency. So you're going to see, again, look at it in England, what was it, two days ago, that their inflation rate is now over 10%. Same thing that's going to happen here. So how does all this trans what does this, all this mean to you? We are going to be in a long-term inflation uh, you know, cycle, which is going to be substantially higher than 2 or 3%, which most of us have gotten used to our entire adult lives. You know, And it's going to be something that's going to require all of us to sort of reframe how we think about money. It's going to be weird. You know, you're going to be, you're going to buy a house. I'll just keep it to real estate and you're, you're going to sell a house and you're not going to, you're, you're conditioned to think, well, maybe the house will go up three or 4% per year, but now it's going up 10 or 12 or 15%. If you're renting, renters are really going to suffer because renters are going to have their rents increased. And uh, it's even going to be harder for them to save the down payments to buy homes because the homes are even going to increase even more in price. And obviously, the interest rates are probably going to stay in the same range they are now. You guys get it? So this is going to completely shift a lot of the major things in the economy. And they're not going to, you know, it's not going to bounce back to the way it was probably for at least 10 years, if not the rest of all of our lifetimes, unless you're like nine and you're listening. <laughs> you guys getting this overarching point? The worst thing you can do is wait around, you know, physically wait around, like you're waiting for a bus or even mentally or emotionally wait around for things to go back to the way they were. The best thing you can do is listen to this podcast because Julie and I are studying the hell out of really what the ramifications of inflation are going to mean to housing, to real estate brokers, to real estate agents, to mortgage rates. We're studying this so we can give you guys best of breed information. We're talking to, you know, we're so blessed that we have people that are willing to share their you know, deep, dark thoughts about what's happening in the economy. A lot of them as neighbors, um, you know, Peter Schiff and some of these other people that we know, and they're telling us what they actually think, which by the way, if you listen to Peter's uh, podcast, which Julie and I do every week, he pretty much, uh, he's, he says there's no two sides of Peter. He, what he says on his pod is exactly what you hear in real life. But we're going to see asset prices. If you guys want to know, like I've been asking all these guys, so where would you put your money now? Or where are you telling your friends and your family or you, are you, are you putting your money? Here's what they all say. Assets. Assets. In the short run, they're saying equity. That's U.S. stocks and things of that nature. In the long run, anything that's a store of value, that's going to be real estate. That's going to be, wait for it, gold. That's going to be other things. Anything that essentially has a long-term track record of being a store of wealth will continue, if not more so, over this next cycle that we're about to, uh, essentially, it's really going to take heed. And people aren't going to um, be questioning it anymore. It's not going to be, um, you know, a, everyone's just going to accept, doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on, that this inflationary thing is not just going to go away. The fight for, to you know, essentially get the inflation rate down is over. It is over because the ramifications of raising the rates would mean more damage to the economy than inflation would. I am, uh, people have been talking about hyperinflation. I even, I've been researching, what does that word even mean? And people bring up examples of you know, Germany and you know, Venezuela and all of this. But this is the best definition I came up with. It is possible, though I don't think it'll happen, it is possible that prices could go up inside 90 days by like 50% on virtually everything. Now again, you're in real estate, so you get a raise. <laughs> go you. And also remember, there will always be people, no matter what's going on in the economy, 
that have to sell their homes. That's the reason we guys we, we teach you guys to be focused on being listing agents, but there'll also be buyers on the other side of those transactions too. It doesn't matter what's going on in the economy because in residential home, housing, people are buying for a place to live. People are buying a place for a place for security to raise their families. That's what people are doing. That's what their focus is. The types of things in an inflationary uh, environment like this, the types of housing people buy, the places people choose to live will change. You already saw that after COVID, right? We saw ranches and other little farmland areas start to really take off. Those, pla- those types of properties are just getting started. So, you know, Julie and I have a little cabin in Murphy, North Carolina. All those areas now that can be serviced by uh, Starlink and all these other, you know, essentially communication. Well, Starlink pretty much is going to be the best of breed as far as getting online. That means you're going to have people, for example, out of Atlanta, which are going to choose to leave Atlanta for whatever reason, taxes and lifestyle, quality of life. And they're going to go to some of these more rural areas. There's going to be massive trends that started during COVID that are going to be accelerated uh, like you cannot believe over the next, really, I think, 12 months. Be excited about this. Don't be intimidated or scared about it, but just make sure you're not playing catch up. Start observing what's happening. Talk to your friends. Start really trusting yourself and what does your intuition tell you. Read more. Listen to more podcasts. Stay away from the drama. Stay away from the news. The news is all politicized garbage. All of you guys know that now. Go out of your way to really become your own best financial advisor and make that your mission because then you'll start making clearer thoughts. Focus on fewer things in an economy like this, not more things. And the number one thing you should focus on is making sure you have the skill set to help other people through this. I don't know if you want to call it a transition, but let's just call it a transition because that's where your value is going to come in. If everyone else is basically walking around with their arms up there and not knowing what the hell to do, but you have an approach that is going to be based in skills and logic and you not being dramatic with how you express yourself or how you're you know, taking on solving other people's challenges, people are going to flock to you like you can't believe to, to be of service to them, to help them buy or sell real estate. This is the reason that this skills-based market is what many of you have been waiting for. You just didn't know it. You didn't know how well you can do in real estate because we were in a market that frankly was fake. The last market we were in was artificially enhanced like you can't believe. Well, you believe it now because you're starting to see the ramifications of it, aren't you? So there's, in our, I'll give you this too. Um, we don't expect there to be any sort of massive, if any, depreciation anywhere at all. Some of you are waiting around for there to be a homes on sale sign in front of every house. It ain't going to happen. Inflation offset and will continue to offset any, um, I think, even remote chance that there was going to be depreciation. It just that's just the case. There'll be exceptions. There'll be there might be a community where some major employer goes out of business or whatever. But even beyond that, we've already seen how the government will react in times where there's any sort of fear of devaluation of real estate. They allow people to do forbearances. They do all these other kinds of things. So this is a brave new world. Um, we're not necessarily advocating one way or the other. We're not being political, nothing like that. We're just observing, we're passing this information along and we're doing everything in our power to make so you guys can be of service to other people. That is our mission. Our mission is to be of service to you. Then in doing so, hopefully you're going to be of service to your buyers or sellers. Be leaders in your homes to start with. Be leaders, you know, lead yourself, then lead your family and then lead your community. That's really where it all starts, but it starts with you having the confidence that comes from you having the skill. 
I know this does not resonate with all of you. I know some of you just want a shiny object to latch onto. You want to be told about the latest Facebook whiz-bang idea to generate buyer leads. I know some of you are addicted to that stuff. So here's a question for you. How is that working out for you now? And knowing that it's not, what are you, why do you think there's any chance that all the shiny object stuff is going to work if it didn't work for Hoot in this past market? What makes you think it's going to work in the new market? Start living by the, you know, essentially Julie and I's personal creed, which is if you want ever increasing levels of success in your business and personal life, do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. If you, dear listener, make a list of all the things you want to do the least in your real estate business, all the things that you absolutely will never do, I bet you every single one of those things has something, is basically you having a direct conversation primarily with the seller about listing their home. Okay, want me to prove it to you? How many of you right now, and maybe there's 18,000, there might be 30,000 that listen to this podcast, you know, how many of you right now, if I gave you the challenge of going out and communicating with 10 for sale by owners would actually do it? I know statistically, maybe one. I mean, like 10% of you would. That's it. Why? Because why? You don't have the skill set because you don't have the mindset. But what if you knew that those for sale by owners all pretty much asked the same things in the same exact order? What if you had 100% confidence that you knew what to say, you knew how to say it, you were a skills-based agent? You would love talking with those for sale by owners because you know it's going to result in a positive outcome for them and for you, right? Why don't you have that approach to your real estate business opposed to being so possessed with the latest branding, marketing, whiz-bang idea? Guys, listen, we do teach branding, marketing, and we do have some whiz-bang ideas that are part of our coaching program. But in a market like this, to lead with those things is an exercise in futility, especially because everybody else is leading with those things. All your competitors, they're all gravitating towards the latest, you know, how to make a video on YouTube or whatever. What you should be doing instead is you should be focused on, okay, who are the people in my marketplace right now who absolutely positively have to sell their homes? And how can I get myself in front of as many of those people as possible, knowing what to say and how to say it so that I can convert those people to my listings? Why don't you do that instead? Why don't you, instead of spending all your time doing speculative things with regards to lead generation and running your business and your life for that matter, why don't you instead do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level? Why are you struggling with that? Because you believe you shouldn't have to? How much longer are you going to believe that? Hasn't life taught you by now that everything you want in life is on the other side of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level? Haven't you experienced enough of life now, by now, to know what I'm telling you is the truth? So stop resisting it, guys. Because what you want in life, your highest and truest purpose on this planet is on the other side of that. Because the other side of that is you realizing that your job is to be of service to other people, to help other people uh, to solve their problems. And in order to do that, to, in order to earn the right to solve other people's problems, you have to have the skill set. That's your job to learn that. And obviously, that's what we teach you to do in Premier Coaching. So guys, thank you for continuing to make this the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. Um, you know, we're honored and absolutely beyond thrilled to have all of you in our lives on a, on a you know consistent daily basis. It means everything to us that Julie and I are able to live our life's mission, which is being of service to you. Please pay that forward and please do consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes. 
it is something that means a lot because it does allow, it basically tells iTunes to give us uh, more exposure to other people who might, you know, be fans of the podcast, other real estate agents around the world. And for all of you, I noticed we are picking up a lot of listeners, primarily in Europe. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We certainly love knowing more about your markets, what's going on there. It is interesting that most of the residential real estate in the entire planet is now sort of going through the exact same cycle. And some of these markets, and I'll tell you guys um, what Julie and I do as well, is we'll look to see what the markets are doing in Italy, what the markets are doing, you know, different uh, different countries, different economic systems, you know, different, just all kinds of different things. But it is fascinating to see how they're all reacting to inflation because what happens there probably will happen here. And guys, what's going to happen here is you're going to make the most of this market because you are a loyal podcast fan. You listen to us every single day and you are excited to be of service to other people because of this market. And to all of you, we salute you. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>